0: You're listening to the Hammersley Brothers Podcast. If you'd like to get started with three of our best tools, see the link in the show notes. They're free and video training is included. Hello and welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. This week, we're talking about quarterly and biannually reviews of your e commerce site and the things you want to do to make sure you're on track. We're going to look at the business from a 10,000 foot view and see what's going on. So, let's get started.
1: Hello, Ian. How are you? Good afternoon, Mark. Yes, I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm good, good. We can't talk about the weather because someone complained that we always talk about the weather at the beginning of the podcast. So, How
1: how are we going to start?
0: I don't know. It's just just thrown us, but you know, it's like an e-commerce business when you get one
1: complaint. You need to listen. to change the whole business model. Never listen to your customers. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, actually no, it is true. You, <laughs> you should be very careful about listening to your customer service team because those the one people yeah. that complain about something has a has a disproportionately loud voice in your business. And you end up making silly decisions. Yeah.
0: He he who shouts loudest is not necessarily he who opens his wallet the yeah. most. Um, it's often the opposite. He who shouts loudest is usually the, the smallest the smallest customer and the most um, outraged at uh, normal yeah. business practices. Because so what was it? Someone who was he bought something. He bought. It was one of the businesses you run. They bought something from someone else, thought it was us, and then left a left a review on us saying, "You know, why won't you return? Let me return these." And it was like, "Well, we don't sell those. You you have to return them to the shop you actually bought them from." Honestly, customers yeah. sometimes. And I'm sure everybody listening to this has got their own story. <laughs> well, it's definitely oh, a... uh, irrational, irrational c-
1: consumer behaviour. Well, I think that, d- and, oh, yeah, and the yeah, the the danger is that you you listen to it, <laughs> um, and you take you make decisions mm. on that one person. You know, so you know, you could have a great yeah, weekend. Exactly. You could do, yeah. you know, a thousand orders. You know, but you you come in on Monday morning and somebody's complained that uh, you know. Something wasn't clear on the checkout, or something wasn't clear, like you know, with delivery terms. And then you then go and put a big warning message on your on your product page saying, you know, please note we don't guarantee to delivery at all. And then guess what happens? It yes. removes, it reduces conversion rate, and nobody nobody buys anything. Because, but oh, but it's okay because yeah. you've you know you've dealt with that one customer. So, yeah, you have to be really careful. You know what? Sometimes I've I've gone into e-com businesses. And I've actually moved the customer service team away from the e-commerce team. Physically said, right, you need to go and sit in mm. different parts of the building. Because all that happens is the customer service team mm. is depressing the hell out of the e com team. Like, it's just feeling like everything's mm. broken. It's terrible. The website's awful. You know, you can't do this email. You sent this email. And an existing customer said that they wanted to get that discount off. You know, you've really got to be careful. I'm not saying don't listen to your customers. Obviously, you do need to listen, but you need to be careful about not letting that you overshadow. You just, you just got all.
0: to. You've got to have stats. You've got to have stats across customer service to see what people are moaning about the most and what is affecting things, and look at it from that point of view rather than um, because you'll always get a couple of customers who will demand. the whole company's attention, it's almost like the whole company needs to stop to service this one person, which is crazy in e-commerce. But I think one of the first things that uh, an e-commerce owner should get out of is customer support because there's a part of your mind that goes, I don't want to grow this business because I don't want any more of this customer support. And so even though you're not realizing it, you're holding your business back because you're yeah. You don't want to deal with it. And it takes
1: emotional energy away. And the one thing you mm. need when you're actually a founder-led business, particularly, but in all business, you're leading a business, what you need is good energy because you have to have the, mm. the motivation to want to grow it. And if you're part of your energy and your emotional energy has been taken by customer service and you're just dealing with it all the time, you know mm. what, you haven't got time for anything else. Oh, God, I can't, can't be dealing with that now.
0: Yeah, and really, in, in in any business, usually the founder or the, the lead team are really the only people that can actually grow it, that they, they really are. And so if you come in and you've lost that motivation and that mojo, it's not going to happen because it's not like the customer service team is going to suddenly turn around and go, oh, oh we, we should uh, we should add these new products and we should start changing the supplier and we should change. You know, it's just they just mm. it's not that role. It's not what they do. It's not their business. So it's. Uh, yeah. It's well, that's funny because that, their their motivation cast. really
1: is to be able to well either reduce the amount of customer inquiries, you know, and um, mm. and deal with them very quickly. So that you know what what would be what would the equivalent be of that in a physical shop? You know, you'd have no staff on the on the shop floor, would you? You know, you'd have a
0: well, I guess it would be kind of trying to reduce. The amount of poor conversations you have. So, like, if you've got a physical store, and you know, like, let's say everybody's trying everything on and they're making a mess, and there's a whole system there, and the staff are constantly having to um, tidy up the the, the clothes. Um, you, you don't want them tied tied up, tidy up the clothes. You want them actually talking to the customers and helping them with their with their with their purchases. So, it's it's kind of like that. Like, if you've got support tickets about things that really don't drive the needle for, they're just kind of like things that just need to be done. It means you can't have the you can't have the conversation or the attention to the customers who might potentially spend a lot more. And that there's
1: always in any yeah, I, business,
0: there's
1: always the need to I think you, find, you, find, I, need I think, you know, we find that, you know, most customer service inquiries were like one of two one of three things. Like one was like where's my order? You know, um you know one was can mm. I you know, can I make an exchange And and one was like a, a genuine question about something and it's that third one that sometimes actually, you, you know, the first two, you could probably automate something like Shopify inbox and makes it so yeah. easy. Anyway, we digress, but because I suppose there's a philosophy, the whole, the whole philosophy of what we've been talking about is what we call the flying bridge, which is what to look at daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, biannually. And the reason why that's, I think yeah. is so important because if you don't have that structured method for your whole team looking at these daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, biannually, guess what happens? You end up looking at everything all over the place and giving it equal importance. And that's when actually you can make the wrong emotional decisions because you're you're not looking at the things in the right structure in the right way. So, in a way, this whole mm. approach. Mm is actually trying to help you avoid and know, and it's to know what to know what to look at and where to focus your time because yeah. the time i put up there with the energy one you know it's a war on time really you know you've got to, you've got to be able to know where to to spend your time to get the most out of it so which one are we on now we're yeah. on quarterly aren't we
0: Quarterly and we'll do quarterly and buy out annually yeah. today because they're, they're kind of like they kind of tie together. So um, yeah, you know, so if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, the one that we did one on uh, what to look at daily, what to look on, one on month, uh, weekly and monthly, we did last week, and today we're doing quarterly. So this is kind of like your ninety thousand foot view of the business, kind of review, isn't it? So you're, you're looking at the business from a much higher uh, uh, level taking a step out of the business and you're really having a look at you know where we're going and, and why. So the first thing um, we would revisit is one of our tools called the, um, the target sheet. And the target sheet by nature is, is, is what targets we're going to try and hit. And quarterly, we'd be looking at the target sheet and saying, well, is it, is it right? Is it, um, you know, are we are we either going to hit those targets that we put in place or are they ridiculously over optimistic or is it opposite? Are we doing a lot better than than we said? Because, um, you know, if, if, if you're not growing as, you know, maybe, maybe when you sat down to do the target sheet at the beginning of the year, you said, oh, yeah, we're going to go five times this year. This is what we're going to be doing each month. And, you know, this, this it doesn't really motivate you if you are way, way off um, the target. And also, if you're just missing a target so much it's not giving you much information about it because ultimately you know you're going to miss the average order value you're going to miss the basket to order you're going to miss the uh, traffic target so you're not really getting that much information so it's a time to kind of um, prune your targets to see how what's realistic or if you're doing much better than your targets it's a time to kind of say well what what can we realistically do Given that the market is really, you know, behind us at the moment and and everything's going well,
1: mm. what should
0: what should the targets be for the next, um, you know, three to four months? I'll tell you. Um, I mean, I just hit and... my
1: take my take on the target sheet and when to do it is, you know, you can't you can't change your fundamental targets like every week or every month because you know that's that's just unrealistic. But you know, the good thing about doing the target sheet is. To know where the revenue actually comes from. And I know this sounds really stupidly simple, but the target sheet forces you to actually break down the basic e-commerce, which is, well, how much traffic do we need based on how much average order value you need based on what conversion rate we need. And just by doing that Mm. starts to make you to think, well, how much can we push average order value? You know, how much can we push conversion rate? You know, and therefore, well, how much tra- traffic do we need and how are we going to get that traffic? So it just forces you to look at where the actual revenue comes from, which, of course, is traffic conversion, average order value. And that's it. That's the most simplest form of, you know, any business. Yeah.
0: And it's also um, it's at times, let's say, let's say you was know, one business we're looking at and it was in Australia and it's like the, the average order value. Had, I think it had gone up. And the average order value had gone up. So that's interesting. So we're looking at quarterly and. In the average order value is made up of a few things, isn't it? It's made up of either people buying more individual items that are higher priced or people buying more items, more more individual items.
1: Hang on, you're so weird with it. I'm just saying that again. It's either it's either more items per order or it's more expensive products, basically.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Or, or a bit of both, or a bit of both. And so... You really, if the average order value goes up, um, and that is causing the, you know, your targets to be hit and to be doing really well, you really need to dive into that to work out which one of those it is. You know, is it is it the fact that people are buying more expensive items, or are people buying adding more items to the basket? And then if you go, well, okay, it's people buying more expensive items, you can then go, well, why? Why is it? Why are people buying more expensive items? And what's happening? Because, like, I think a lot of the time. When something goes wrong, we're very quick to dive into, try and work out what's going wrong. But when things go right, we're not as quick to dive in to dive into, like, why it's going right. Like, so what is it that's, that's causing our success? Because it's, it's as important, but people don't... When things go well, they kind of let it fly. They go, oh, it's great. Mm. It's going really well. But, like, ultimately, you want to understand the mechanisms behind your success because the... The, the the difficulty is, is when that changes, when the wind changes, you don't really know what it was. And often when you find something that's working
1: well, you can lean yeah, you into it. You normally can push the extremities a bit further, can't you? You can push what, do what's working well. Yeah. So let's say average order value is naturally increasing. Well, if it's naturally increasing without you really doing that much to do that, generally that's what the customer wants to do. So you can normally nudge them a bit further with it by making it, you know, more obvious. So for example, you know, if you're finding that people are naturally buying two of something, you know, but they're doing it in a natural way on the website, you know, well, by merchandising and by putting them together and making it easy for them to do that, you know, you're gonna be able to get more out, I Mm. mean, simple things like, um, some businesses do like three for two and, you know, but often it's quite yeah. hard to find three for two. So you'd you have a promotion on the product page to say, this is part of the three for two and make the three for two button on the product page clickable. So you can take them through to the collection that shows all the three for twos you and that kind of thing. So you're making yeah. it easier. But I think generally what we're, say, what we're saying is that in the target sheet, you know, it, it's just forcing you to, to ask the question. Cause you think you're looking at this point, you're looking further ahead and the question I always like to ask is, well, If we had to double, what would what could we do? You know, what would we have to fundamentally Mm. in order to double the revenues to make you just really think about, oh my God, like, you know, we can only get so much out of average order value, we can only get so much out of conversion rate, you know, we'd have to like double the traffic, like cry. And actually if we double the traffic, conversion rate is going to go down. So, like, the only way mm. we'll be able to cope is by significantly improving, like, our lifetime customer value or our margin. Or we're going to have to bring in a whole new mm. category of products to get more revenue yeah. out of the existing so, traffic.
0: So, you're kind of looking at the quarterly level, at the fundamentals. So, so, let's, the lifetime value is, because over, over the three months, since so you did this review last time, the lifetime value probably has changed. And you can look at it year on year. And you can look at it to see what's happened. And you can say, well, is a customer worth more to us now, or is it? Is, are they worth less? And that, that's going to affect, you know, what um, what's happening. You can also look at it by category. And You can say, well, is this category, you know, is this category of lifetime value growing more? Like one of our businesses at the moment, if you look year on year, the lifetime value has gone up hugely. Um, and at the quarterly review, we really need to look at why why that is. And is is it is it because the average order value has gone up on the first purchase, or is it because the um, people are buying uh, more frequently and and what can we do uh, about that? And is there a type of customer that is much more likely to uh, buy? And are they, are they uh, you know, a slightly different, you know, are they a professional buyer or, are they, are, you know, are they in the trade or something like that? Like there's loads of things within that that you could dive into that means that you can do much better as a business. Mm. And ultimately, you know, like it, each quarter, you'll have an idea, you know, from, from looking at the margin calculator sheet uh, every uh, every month, and the, the drop by drop every day, you'll have a feel feel for where uh, the constraints in is, is in the business. It's like you know, you're like driving a car on a racetrack, aren't you? And you've been going around that track every day, um, trying to get a, it faster and faster, and you kind of go, well, I know where I know where I get slow, I get slow on that corner because the brakes aren't good enough, and can't uh, accelerate on the straight because uh, the wind resists. You know, like this, you get the idea of things that are holding you back. And the quarterly review is the time when you strategically think about how you're going to mm. do it because you do get to that point in any business where you, um, you know, you're, you're sailing around the track and you're doing day to day, but it, you, you you're not getting faster.
1: I think and, some time, sometimes, sometimes you, you know, it's a time, it's a time where you could either expand or contract in a particular category as well you mm. know so you you know you might say yeah. you know what we're really growing in this particular category and when we say category you know a collection of products you know sort of one substack of products yeah and you know but this one over here you know it's really not resonating you know in fact you know if we look at what we spent versus what we've had back you know it's had a pretty poor ROAS. but this over here we've got you know, we've got great margin, we've got a great ROAS, you know, it's grown really well. Actually, let's go deeper into that category and expand there, but we'll actually yeah. cut back on the other one. Because you know, it's the decision that also is you know, we've said this before that Shopify, for example, but most ecom platforms are the same, and you connect your they're all the same. You connect your Google shopping feed, for example, it will put it'll pull every single product product in. You know, and it's like, well, should yeah. we be bidding on these products at all? Mm. You know, do we have an advantage? Do we think we could steal market share in them? You know, or is it literally just sucking budget and getting a poor ROAS and we're never gonna be able to actually grow aggressively in that? Mm. So actually should we actually pull them out and just you know, not not to remove them from the
0: site. And one thing the one thing you need to look at is crossover. So do you have categories that don't cross over to other categories? And I was thinking about someone who's selling luxury it was luxury goods, and she was selling like a high high end luxury goods, about thousand thousand dollars, I think it was, and um, she sold some some lower value things for about I think about hundred hundred dollars eighty dollars, and there was there was no when when you look at the data quarterly there was no crossover between people who bought the small items. They would never buy the luxury items. Some of the people who bought luxury items would buy the small items, but it was like almost running two separate businesses on the same business. And ultimately, those smaller items were were a distraction. Now, sometimes those smaller items can lead to the bigger sale because it gets those people in. But if if you're recruiting a completely different customer on one category, then all the other products that you sell were relevant for it's not. it's not going to make sense. I mean, it, extreme example would be if you're if you're a specialist golf store and you start stocking some table tennis bats. It doesn't make sense to you know really recruit loads of table tennis bat uh, mm. uh, uh, people and then try and sell golf golfware because there's not going to be much. There's just not going to be much uh, I crossing. Think Whereas if uh, you,
1: what I was I saying? I think there's two two kind of decisions to make. Number one, should you stop wasting advertising budget on these? So that's mm. one decision, and then the second decision should you should be should you actually stock them in the first place? Because you can you can in some businesses you go, okay, take one of our demo stores. You know we could say actually pillar cases, let's let's stock them, but let's not put them in our advertising feed because yeah um, yeah the, you know the the, uh, the cost per acquisition is pretty high, the average order value is low, margin isn't as good. Uh, so we you know we're not going to waste because all we're doing is using budget potentially for another product that's got a better return on ad spend. So, but we wouldn't remove them from the site because yeah. they're a good little add-on. Get the average value up. They're retention products we can use as well. So there's the, there's the sort of two decisions, you know. First of all, should should we be spending yeah. on them? Or, and secondly, should we actually pull them completely? Yeah. But which is
0: yeah, and I think that's a big I think that's a big um, a big shout because you know sometimes. You recruit customers on. You need those little purchases that they can buy to kind of increase the lifetime live, customer value. If they're coming from the uh, the email list, but you wouldn't necessarily want to to recruit on them. So those like someone who sells socks and and, and hats and stuff like that. They, they're great products for existing customers, but you don't want to recruit on them because a hat buyer and a sock buyer. That's all they tend to buy is a yeah. hat and a sock, and then they never come back. So you know, it's 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 kind of understanding which products are. Are working. For and I'll a lot. just say
1: sorry. Say um, something else as well. That so it's this time with quarterly, probably biannually too. But this is be where you know i'd I'd be starting to think, okay. You know what? What are the hidden levers within e-commerce? So we always say the hidden kind of lever within an e-commerce business tends to be margin and lifetime customer value, and it might be a time where you, mm. you know, you do want to start experimenting with bringing in other product ranges, and you know we've done this with our own businesses but we're, you know realizing that you know if you go and get it made directly you know from overseas it can be cost prohibitive it can also be you know risky in debt because you've got to have minimum quantities so sometimes we've gone to uk wholesalers mm. and we've just said well let's test this with the uk wholesaler and if it works then it's mm. giving you the confidence to to go and actually put in a bigger order direct you know but
0: yeah, because you know that you know the volume in yeah. the market. You say, well, it's not working at this level. We're only just kind of scratching our back in terms of profit. But if we did it, it's yeah. very similar to when we did that. We that that when there was uh, yeah, it was in lockdown. All the airports were shut. And we said, oh, let's have a go at selling perfumes. Yeah, and you know we did we did quite we did okay. Um, but it was we were drop shipping them, and there was only like forty five percent margin. And we looked I at the market Well, yeah, yeah, it was thirty five. I think it was thirty five. And it, I think it was. And we were like, well, yes, there's a market here, but in order to make money, you'd have to stock your own products. And if you want to stock your own products, you have to basically put a million dollars in and buy the buy the products. And um, you know, and and then you look at those categories and you go, well, the opportunity costs for a million dollars is this other things I'd rather spend that money on. Um, and so it can kind of, it's that kind of conversation. Yeah. So you can try categories at um, you know a lower margin, understand I'm the just market, just test you know, yeah. And then make a decision. Yeah, and taste test it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm quite glad we didn't get into perfumes in the end. It would have been. I think we should have done it. Would have been.
1: Uh, you think? <laughs> well, um, no. I mean, I the, the, I,
0: the trouble is with perfumes. The trouble is with perfumes is that you've you've got uh, massive competitions because everybody I, knows the product. Yeah. yeah. And I um, wouldn't have done it. Massive. Uh, no. Because the only no, what, what better, would have like, happened is you,
1: the only way to scale it would have been to have invested heavily, obviously in the stock um, and buy direct, but mm. also it's it would be a massive Google shopping business. So Google would be winning, but you, know, you would the lifetime mm. customer value wasn't there. You'd be making a tiny profit, possibly if you were lucky. But by the time you factored in your warehousing costs and your staff, your tax, you wouldn't have made anything and the, and the businesses wouldn't have been worth much because you're selling other people's products. You don't have a brand.
0: You know, so. I think I think someone's going to make someone's going to make it work, but it's one of those businesses that um, the the person who has the scale and has the margin wins. At winner takes all. Ultimately, when ultimate winner takes all. Yeah, and so you know someone could come into that market. Uh, you know you could build that business up for many many years, and then someone come into the market and wants to you know with big pockets and just say right, I'm going to go and buy the UK perfume market. I'm going to go and um, subsidize the sales for three years and, mm. you know, it's gone, isn't it? It's like what Amazon does with things. So it was, yeah. You know, there was a few reasons why we didn't want to put a million dollars into it, basically is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so coming back to the quarterly deep dive review, um, we have something called the roadmap and the roadmap is, you know, it's effectively a list of things you're working on, on the business. And um, yep. it's, 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 it's a glorified to-do list really. and. Um, but it's prioritized. So the things at the top are the most important things that you would uh, we're going to do first and then the things at the bottom are things that we're going to do last. And what we want to look at on that roadmap is does that align with uh, what we're trying to do um, on the target sheet? And, um, it, you know, if, if we do want to increase the lifetime customer value or we do want to increase the average order value, are those things at the top? And um, is there something because often with a roadmap, you'll find that there's you'll put new things at the top all the time, and the things that are at the bottom never get done. So you'll find that there might be something on the uh, on the roadmap that's been sitting there for like six months that is still at the bottom, but you think it's on the roadmap. But that's the time to call it. You can say, look, we're obviously not bothered enough about this to ever make it a priority, and so therefore, you know, because the roadmap should be clean. It should be strategic, and it should be clear on on what's happening in the business. Because uh, if it's not, then um, if you just use it as a dumping ground to put all your ideas, it's not a strategic document. It is essentially a um, a mess. So well, it becomes like a wish list. The... So
1: you know, yeah. I, I think you yeah. know when because I I I spent my career putting up putting roadmaps together um and i'd say the 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 things that i do is first of all i always say what kpi it's going to hit so if i'm marking something i'm basically a roadmap we're talking about google sheet you know i always say what what kpi it's going to hit um so average order value or add to basket or basket to order or margin life to customer value etc i always put that down um and then i always put the Area. So, is it UX? Is it email? Is it Dev? Is it supply chain? Like, I always put the the category that it's in, and then I put complexity in of out of ten, and then I put effects on revenue. And I know this sounds quite complex, but I put complexity and effects and revenue because then I, because there's low. So often there's I then go through. I I I often put them together. So I put all the UX ones together roughly, and I put Because even if something is, um, you know, not super critical, but it's super easy and you might as well do it alongside you doing something else. I tend to back them together, even though it's kind of counterintuitive, you should work top down. The problem is you might put something at the top that's actually really, really important, but it's going to take a long time. But whilst you're doing it, you might as well do these other two or three things. So you have to be sensible and pragmatic about it from a work perspective. Of what you'd batch together um but fundamentally you've got to put the effect on the KPI on it because then you look at it and you <clears> go well why the hell are we faffing around with the bloody basket to order when our basket to order rate is brilliant but our add to basket is terrible you know that's where that's where we've got to go because we affect that with yeah. a much bigger impact really so you have to you have to put it down in a way that's... um that makes sense that everybody can be aligned because your whole team gets very emotional about what to do on the roadmap. They really do. So you got yeah. to have that. It's got to link back to the target sheet. You got to link back to the numbers and it almost builds the narrative. So you do the target sheet, it's focusing you on what numbers you need to hit, what KPIs you need to hit in order to do the revenue. Then, and then then the, the story narrative is being built so that when you then look at the roadmap, it's so obvious what to do. So you can't really have mm. the conversation about the roadmap without looking at the target sheet and the KPIs. Because it's all it's just meaningless. Mm. There. They are one of the same.
0: Yeah, it's tying it back. It's tying it back to numbers and, and and stopping you getting emotional about what thing you you know you really want to implement on the side because it's this exciting thing you've seen someone else do. And it's like, well, is, does that tie into our mission and what we're trying to do with our figures? Yeah. It's important to, to have. So the quarterly review is also um, the time when I look at um, salesperson number five, and, and people won't probably know what I mean by salesperson number five, but there was the five salespeople of e-commerce that we did on um, uh, on the podcast probably last year. And salesperson number five was the lifetime customer value. And effectively, it's the time to look at, you know, what the top 20% of the customers are doing. Um, you know, are they growing? Are they continuing to spend? What are they engaged with? And, and um, do we know who they are? Because often the top 20% of customers can drive anywhere between 50% of the revenue to 80% of the revenue, depending on how strong they are. Um, and so, that, that you know, like if you've got, you know, 20% of the customers driving 50% of the revenue and you double that the revenue of those 20%, you're going to... Um, just, from 20, just doubling the revenue of that 20% will, will increase the revenue of the whole company by 100%. So they have a much bigger impact on the business than all of the other customers. And so that's the time when you want to have a sit down with mm-hmm. um, the, the customer data to understand how that uh, top segment of customers is changing from quarter to quarter. You know, is there more of them? Is there any demographic data that you can find? And sometimes we want to do a survey into them just to profile that that segment, just to see how they who they
1: are. I mean, so what you've just said is that I'm going to say that again because it's really key. Is that you know? In fact, as a practical example, we've been set a challenge by a particular eco brand that we're working with um, to double the revenue um, in Mm. the next three years. And so we are going. okay, we're going to double the revenue. Um, well, the first thing we want to do is find out who the top customers are and look at what they're buying. Because, you know, if we, if, we can, if we can focus on those customers that are giving the revenue, we obviously have a much greater chance. I mean, what was the stat that you said? If we 20% of the customers, we double the 20% who are accounting for 80% of the revenue. You can, well, twenty you know, you... percent is
0: doing 50%, cause it, Twi- fifty percent because if twenty percent doing fifty percent and you double it, you're getting another fifty percent, aren't you? And so, actually, that's ranking. not true. What I said is it? It's not true. What um... I said I said you would double the revenue. So you're going to get an extra. If you double that twenty percent, you're going to get an extra fifty percent if they're driving fifty percent. Yeah. Revenue, I think. Math isn't, uh, anyway. <laughs> what I'm well, saying no, I think
1: you still, well, the, well, the flip side would be. I'm yeah. saying that if, 50... oh, if you double the big customers, you're going to get a lot more than if you double the small. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite as good now. You, you keep talking, Ian, and I'll get the up <laughs> pitch you know. well, well, you said if 20% is giving you 50% of your revenue. There's 80% giving 50% of revenue. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're focusing on the 20%. So you double those, yeah. you're going to have a much easier chance to grow. So the first thing I'd do mm. is you look at what those 20% are buying on their first purchase. You yeah. Know, and look at that. And if there's any patterns there, because obviously you want to be able to put more advertising budget into the into the products that are... Giving a more loyal customer makes sense. Yeah. So you have to look at lifetime customer value in terms of what people buy. I think that's that's a fascinating thing to do. We always end mm. up doing that. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you can make it.
0: You can make a big difference to um, to what you're doing. So just just focus on your big customers and, and and help them spend spend more and encourage more people to get into that top top twenty percent. So, like, if you if you find that they have certain characteristics, like maybe they've bought three times, or maybe they've bought certain categories, uh, or maybe they come from a certain uh, uh, job type or something like that. Like, ultimately, you you you've got that kind of bucket within the business. You say, well, how do we how do we put more people into that bucket? Because those are the people that are driving the business. And um, once you have that conversation, you start to understand how how it works. And you, you it there's there's you know there's obviously the, the the top, sorry, the bottom twenty percent of the customers probably only account for like two percent of the revenue. You know, it's it's um, it becomes so that those are the company customers not to focus on. You know, so you know, can you say, well, can we spend some more marketing budget, um, you know, and, and not target those customers and actually save some to put it into into somewhere else? Um, and then the the last thing we look at quarterly is is, is the split testing plan. So. What big split tests might we want to do on the site? What things do we might want to test? Uh, How have the split tests been going that we've been looking at across the site? Um, And just strategically think about what we're testing and why. Because it's kind of difficult day to day to. um, Split tests tend to be set up that are easy day to day, monthly. and quarterly is when you kind of go, well, wouldn't it be great if we could test mannequin shots against lifestyle shots in a category? That's not something that's that easy to do, um, and it kind of needs to be be planned and worked out. And so quarterly is when we would look at kind of more strategic level uh, split tests that um, are, are something that we we have to plan a lot out. So um, it, it, otherwise you're you're never going to get into, you're never going to have enough time. To kind of build those out and think about those and see how they might even be done. Yeah.
1: Do you, agree? you have to take a step back. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think because you have to take a step back and, and do split tests properly. Um, you know, obviously you run them in between and you might be making decisions. I'm not saying don't look at them in between your quarterly ones, but, but fundamentally, you know, the quarterly is a, t- a chance to ask yourself the big questions about well how how can we how can we double this over the next three years you know by asking mm. yourself the bigger questions and it's the same thing with split testing you know you're not going to get fundamental you know double digit growth if you're if you're split testing the the shade of a add to basket button
0: yeah you know
1: it's about the positioning of the brand. Um, yeah. Big decisions, you know, really really thinking about how can we steal market share? We're going to grow by stopping somebody buying for somebody else. So you're mm. really looking at things like your positioning statements and your warranties and your, you know, your uh, your return policies and things like that. Your big mm. stuff, big, bigger things. That's what you want to know.
0: Yeah. So you're in your market square test, aren't you? Yeah. Bye bye yearly. And, um, Working out what what's going to happen um, with, with the market, because basically, well, sorry, you, might,
1: well, well, you what just you sorry, I think you you just drifted. I think you just drifted off there. Well, and I did stop because I went, no idea what I, was saying. <laughs> I went into my spreadsheet.
0: Went into my spreadsheet, and I've I've come back. Basically, if, if you increase the if twenty percent of the customers are driving fifty percent of the revenue, <laughs> you double, and you double them. You get fifty percent more revenue. That's that's what it is. Yeah. yeah well, that's Simple what I said.
1: But then you doubted yourself. No, I and said. Then, you know, I said you know.
0: No, I said that you get a hundred percent more revenue, which is not true because you don't. But well, you did same. originally.
1: Yeah. I find with maths, if you say it fast enough, you know, yeah. confidently enough, people don't question it, and they they question themselves. And they think. What oh, I found is me? that, is that
0: when I'm doing a podcast,
1: I can't do maths.
0: I just can't. Like, because I'm focusing on talking and I'm talking the stuff, and as soon as like, there's a part of my brain that does maths, it can't do it. So
1: yeah. You're getting <laughs> so when it was like I got math, some maths questions. I got no
0: idea what you were talking about.
1: What? What, what is uh, three times four? God.
0: <laughs> Let's <calculate. laughs> No. Um, so had you gone? Had you moved on to
1: buy yearly yet, or
0: were you still on? Uh, I love
1: the fact that you didn't answer that question. I will move on. Uh no, I was talking about that but you but I was talking about um the quarterly about split testing but i but I, but uh, I will do by by month by yearly because by yearly is an interesting time because it gives you you know you're not these are the tasks that you wouldn't do every day week or month or even quarterly, but you do need to do there has to be a time and a place so one of the things that Mark and I always do when we're going into a an econ brand for the first time. Whether or not it's our own or someone we've invested in or a client, we will do something. We'll do two things. We'll do the market square test, and we'll do the anxiety analysis. And the market square test is where you we become a secret shopper, and so we we go to a competitor's site. We'll sign up. To, we'll do a couple of things. We will we'll sign up to their emails, as um to to see all their welcome flows. We will try and buy something as a comparable product try and find it and we'll make we'll make a note of anything like offer architecture um, warranty guarantee returns policy um, and any general um, reassurances or or you know how how the site flows I mean generally have a look and we'll mark it into a little Google spreadsheet What we're really looking for is not necessarily the aesthetics of the site. So you sort of cut through that. We're looking at, um, you know, if, they, if they've got, what's the warranty, what's the returns policy? You know, what's the delivery threshold? Free? Is there a free delivery threshold? Is there, a, is there an upsell offer? Is there, um, uh, you know, an, an introductory welcome deal? That kind of thing. That's what we want to know. Um, and obviously the price, of course, too. But what you know, imagery and generally, you know, generally the ta- tangible things that we can take. And we, and we put that in a big spreadsheet and compare everybody against everybody else. And we're looking for things that we can do better. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily what the returns policy is, but it's also how they position it, where it's positioned. So, mm-hmm. you know, is it stuck in the footer and you can't find it? You know, have they hidden the returns policy? You know, is it, or is it, you know, is it, is, you know, on a and conditions page, all that kind of stuff. So we are looking quite simply for things that we can use to disrupt the market. Mm. That is, you know, cut through the bullshit. We are looking for disruptive marketing messages that mm. we can use to go and steal market share. Because, you know, you're not going to get it from having a pretty site on its own. You no, know, it's going to come from fundamentally. It's not enough. It's not enough. And you've got to really put your mind, your your feet, in the shoes of the customer and ask yourself, "Would I buy from me?" And I know that seems a stupid question because, of course, you probably you know naively or possibly say, "Yeah, of course I would. I'm great." But if you didn't know you and you didn't know any business, who would you buy from, mm. and why? And really think about how can I stop somebody buying from somebody else. So that's why we do the market square because it just takes all the all the emotion and you just goes, look, mm. you know, they've got a 30 day, they've got a 40, 45 day. We've got a bloody 14 day. That's pathetic. You know, yeah. it. it's not good enough. Line up all those frictions, all those anxieties, put them all in front of you and say, how can we knock them over, knock them over, knock them over. Be big yeah. and be bold. And big also, favor- Big exercise that.
0: It's a good time to go and look abroad as well, because, you know, if you're in America and you're serving a, a certain market, you can go and look at Australia. You can go and look at New Zealand. You can go and look at the UK. You can look at Canada, and you say, "Well, these are the, these are these are very similar markets to mine. That they've all got the same anxieties to some certain degree. How are they solving them? How are, what guarantees are they using? You know what what prop, uh, proposition are they using? And often, you know, um, you know sometimes like for example, New Zealand. If you've got a successful site in New Zealand that's doing well, they have to be so good at what they do because the market is so small." That sometimes they're actually better than than you you you, you, yeah. you could find in other places. If it's if it's a if it's a competitive category, if you're in New Zealand and it's not a competitive category because no one's bothering with the market because it's too small, then it's not not relevant. But I like to go around the world and look at different ads from for the e-commerce site that I'm looking at, and just to see you know. How, what what messaging is being used? Because yeah, I've sometimes I've 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 swiped stuff from American companies and used it in the UK, twist uh twist twisted it, no, no uh tweaked it a bit and gone. Wow, I like that. That's yeah. really good. I, I can well, take definitely.
1: Because I, I think I think certain industries in different countries are further ahead. Mm. You know, so it makes sense. Obviously, it's a fantastic opportunity to go and take somebody who's actually tested, split tested a lot more, possibly two or three years ahead of where you are. Mm. Makes so much sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the other one the other one to mention, which we said before, was the anxiety analysis, which is where we, we pull all the reviews off of the competitors. Yeah. Um and yours as well. Yeah. And we analyze them. We and we put them into categories. So when they're good ones, when they're happy, why are they happy? And we categorize them all. And the same mm-hmm. thing for the for the negative ones. We look at why they're unhappy. And again, you you get a very good picture of, of what people want when they're happy, which tends to be the job to be done. And when they which people we've talked about a lot, the anxiety analysis. Fascinating yeah. piece of work to do. And then you're really asking yourself a couple of questions. Number one, can we use this for the positioning of the brand, which is the job to be done in our marketing? You know, are we are we talking about these things that are coming out? in the job to in the uh, positive reviews mm. and then the negative ones obviously is the anxieties. And again, are we addressing that in our um, communications on our, on our website, in the, in the, on the product pages, on the basket, on the ads basket um, events? Are we in the email? You know, are we conquering yeah. the getting rid of these anxieties? And often the answer is no, we're not. Mm. So, well, well, so what's you, really can, you can't do that every day. You can't, yeah.
0: What's really interesting is, like if you, if you did the anxiety analysis on the previous six months reviews that your company got to and your competitors have got to in the market at that point, and then you do it the next six months, you know you in, in six months time, has it stayed the same or, or are people, is the market changing? Are the same phrases being used now that they were being used um, last year at the same time? Like the market will change. Now, I was talking to someone yesterday, and it was, well, someone was buying a business, and she was talking about a business in Canada. And um, you know, it, was, it was a kind of business that was a, boor, a boring business. And I quite like boring businesses because they very rarely change. So it was she was like selling like uh, like spare parts and things like that for certain industries and things like that. And then the great thing about those businesses is that the anxiety analysis it won't change. It will pretty much just going to be the same. It's like, do you have the part in stock, and can you get it to be on time, and is your pricing okay? Whereas if you if you're in a fast-moving uh, market like, gosh, um, jewellery or uh, or clothing or, or 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 something like that, then the anxiety analysis is really important to do um, every six months because the the market, the way they express themselves is going to change a lot more. Because it, it, it is it's it's completely
1: dynamic. You've got to spot. It's a way of spotting mm. trends. Mm. It's a way of spotting trends, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, other, yeah. We often sometimes we do the um, the Google Trends as well.
0: Yeah, the Google Trends is, know, is is also worth well, having a look at. I mean,
1: it's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to get a
0: lot from Google Trends because it's kind of like random data. But you can see, you you know, you could see things that are trending upwards. Um. And, well, yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, you can, and and obviously seasonality. But you should already know that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so it, it's um, cool. it, a lot of the time with Google Trends, it just supports what you've. It supports what you've been feeling. You know, a lot of the times you go, "Oh, of course." You know, it's like yeah. COVID barbecues were really good. You look at it and you go, "Yep, barbecues were like seventy times bigger than they normally were." So ultimately, it's um, it, it's there. But you can you can look at Google Trends and and see. You know, what, what, like, let's say you we were talking about adding new categories. You know, you really want to be going into categories that are trending up, not trending down, because, um, it's just like catching a wave, isn't it? You really want to be catching that new wave uh, of something. And if you catch a wave, you do, yeah. um, you do, you do much better. Um, okay. So yeah. that's it, really. That's our, Super. that's our buy, uh, quarterly will... by yearly stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Apologies yeah, we'll, for my we'll, we'll leave it terrible maths halfway through, um, but um,
1: I liked it because it, you know, yeah. it gave me evidence that I'm the superior one. Yeah,
0: I mean, for someone who's got a first-class master's engineering degree, you should really be able nice. to see
1: how to throw. That you.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, you get these degrees and you don't use them. And why not, brag At the end of the podcast. People should know.
1: <laughs> what else? Yeah, they I only for? got 2 1. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Have a nice evening and I'll speak to you soon. <laughs> Thanks,
1: Mark. Cheers. Cheers. Cheerio. Bye. Bye.